Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Ruminations of Red Rum, the beginning of the 2000s remake set of episodes. I'm your host, Kyle, with a K. And, oh, is that black fingernail polish I see there, Brennan? Oh, yes. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. And today with us, we have Brendan, Mr. Fantastic, just uh, back from fighting Dr. Doom himself over in the San Francisco Bay. Um, how are you doing? Uh, <clears throat> oh, Dan, life? To answer, uh, to, to, I'll be a little right. bit vulnerable here. Uh, I, I kind of overstimmed myself a little bit the past month. Uh, so I'm I'm trying to recuperate from that. Can you elaborate? Um, yeah. So I mean, it was it was a mixture of in two weeks, uh, putting seventy hours into Remnant Two. Um, uh, a week before that, I covered three screeners in a very short amount of time, and then right after Remnant Two. Um, uh, Popcorn Frights Film Festival started, and for horror obsessive, I, th- I think I watched in two and a half weeks uh, forty feature films, mm. um, and I just kind of shut down a little bit after that. But I'm on the mend, and um, I'm feeling better, and I'm very happy to be back with my boys. I'm back glad you boys. elaborated about that. Why? Also joining us, we have <laughs> the spooky boy, the paranormal one, the phantom menace, Ian with Dewey. I thought I had a booger on the ground. I just picked it up. It was just a piece of paper. What? <laughs> I could have a nickel for every time I've done that. <laughs> uh, how's it going, Kyle? How's it going? Oh, it's going good. Why did you? Why were you glad he elaborated? Um, because I felt like that could have been interpreted as, uh, just coming I back from too much doing hard drugs, oh. just <laughs> Molly heroin, <laughs> uh, crack cocaine, <laughs> smoke and alcohol. Just, you know, that was the only thing that kept me grounded the past month though. So the hard hair was the heroin. What's the hardest drugs you've ever done, Ian? Hardest drugs, hardest drug I've ever done. Can I guess sugar, <laughs> caffeine? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's. I Sorry, like, I'm not gonna call me interrupt you. Right, Got yeah. you, Brendan. What's the hardest drugs you've ever done? Uh, pass. My mother listens to this man. Oh, yeah, that's right. Hey, shout out to Brendan's mom, by the way. I love you. We just constantly share dog videos back and forth to each other on like a weekly basis. So shout out to you. Um, you bring me much joy. Um, Brendan, we'll start with you first. Do you have any wrecks? I know you've uh, been mentally just exhausted through everything you've been watching. I but do. Do you have any? Do you have any wrecks? In your I do. I'm catalog uh, of movies you've watched. Or the biggest you know, outliers. Games from you that played or stack. What's yeah, so um the the two things that I've been doing to kind of so my my uh calm down game is seven days to die. because mm. uh, it's and not the current, you know, alpha one, I think it's in like one point twenty. 
so they stopped updating the PlayStation Seven Days to Die. Um, I think in maybe 2013. So it's still an alpha 1.18. Um, and it's a very bare bones game. Uh, but I've just been playing the fuck out of that because I put last podcast on, um, I just sit back, chill and collect resources. Um, so that's, that's the one thing, but I, uh, uh yesterday I watched cobweb, which is a 2023 movie. I don't know if you guys have heard of that. Yeah. I've um, actually been interested in it. Lionsgate really dropped the ball on uh, on promoting that movie because it was really fucking good. But I think also it came out the same week as Barbie and Oppenheimer. Well, that'll do um, it. Yeah, that'll, do that'll it. kill you right there. Uh, <laughs> but it was it was a really nice atmospheric, uh, and I definitely recommend checking it out if you were interested. I don't think I've ever seen a bigger film campaign than Oppenheimer or uh, what is it? Oppen Oppen Barbie. Yep, that's what it is. Or Barbie Oppen Barbie, Barbie Hop Hopper. <laughs> what is it? What was it called? Barbenheimer. 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 Okay. <laughs> I've seen some pretty Same big tonight. ones back in the day. I would yeah. say things that maybe rivaled Oppenheimer. I mean, Oppenheimer didn't seem as big as like like i remember titanic was huge that one was a big deal a lot of push like you saw it everywhere um i'm trying to think of something that would like i, I think titanic probably is the one that i remember in my recent memory that would have rivaled it as far as uh just being like everywhere well, and and also like how much of Barbie's press wasn't even from, you know, the production studios themselves. That was just mm -hmm. people sharing memes and and all that stuff. So I good, good on them. They probably I would say got a hundred million dollars worth of free press. Out yeah, of I mean they they rode the you know the coattails of Oppenheimer, yeah. and I think that was a smart move, and I think mm -hmm. it worked for them. Um. But they also, at the same time, didn't really need it. It's Barbie. Oh, yeah. Had a, yeah they it, were going to make money. Yeah, it was a stacked cast. Um, Ian, two E's, what you got for us this week? What do you have to recommend? Um, wow. I haven't really been watching a whole lot of movies other than like the usual nine movies a week or whatever. Um, but <laughs> I've been keeping it chill. There was, there was three days where every log that came through was Ian, and it was like 17 <laughs> things. I was like, I need to touch some grass. Uh, <laughs> some grass. Um, I logged two John Woo, or John James Wan uh, shorts. There's a lot one was, on right there. One was the Saw, the origins of Saw, it, which was cool mm. to see. It was um, all Australian cast. Um, and it was the whole, um, oh. um <laughs> want to play a game? Um, it was the whole like Amanda scene where she has the reverse bear trap, but it was, um, Lee Winnell and, and as the, he, he had the, the trap on. Um, so it was cool. It was cool to see. And you can watch it on YouTube. Um, I will post those links if, if you guys want me to. Um, but I also watched Dying Breed, which was an Australian hillbilly horror film. And uh, quite a fan of hillbilly horror. I mean, we're covering one today. Uh, so I was getting in the mood, getting the mood right uh, to start off the week. I've seen this cover for a while. 
so I knew exactly what it was when you when you posted it. I haven't seen it though. But. I bought the um, Brendan brought the uh, what's it called? Eight movies to die for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the whole festival the after dark thing. horror. Yes, Fest. and uh, I remember seeing those as a kid uh, at Blockbuster, and um, like those being the forbidden fruits that I could like mm-hmm. never touch. And there was even a, a display of the, of all those films at one point. Um, really cool. They try to promote that, um, and then I've just been picking them up at Zia Records um, slowly. Um, and then this was one I had on the back burner, so I just popped it in, and watched it. You know, real talk, if After Dark really wanted to, they could make one hell of a comeback. Because so many people our age have that nostalgia, Mm -hmm. even if we weren't allowed to watch the films, of just seeing those covers. They could absolutely corner the indie horror market right now if they tried. On one hand, indie horror is thriving. And on the other, nobody's buying physical media my age. So... I don't know if that. I don't know about that. I don't have a single. All my friends, like every time I buy a DVD or Blu-ray, they're like, "What are you doing, Ian? Why?" And I'm like, "You know what? Because I like the touch. I like to touch things. I like to hold things in my hand." Just just because your 18 year old girlfriend doesn't buy. (laughs) 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 You're taking around with a bunch of 18 year olds that have never touched a DVD before. But that being said, Kyle, no, what have you I, been up to? <laughs> I get what Ian's saying because uh, mm-hmm. there is a lot of kids that I work with too that say the same thing about me. Like even people that are like really into movies, like mm-hmm. Letterbox yes. tours, and they're like, "You buy physical media?" And I'm just like, "Yeah, bro. Like, there's plenty of places out there that sell it, and just go, just go look around." And I don't know. I agree, but I, I, I think there was a way. Like, I think. It, Indie horror needs to start making more physical films, though, right? Like, there's not enough movies distributing their stuff to physical media. Obviously, the cost of films is, or the like, the cost of making it is like a huge issue. But, Ian, shoot, I think the problem is that they are getting picked up by the. Um, Vinegar Syndrome and the uh, Unearthed Films and uh, the DVD, uh, the Blu-rays uh, or 4Ks are like 40 to 30 bucks per. And I feel like if they did some DVDs, it might. Uh, but DVDs are dying, so. You know, uh, that that's that's actually a really good point, but I'm thinking of it in the opposite way uh, because the goal is uh, say something like the Outwaters. Uh, the Outwaters gets picked up for distribution and gets put on simultaneously Vinegar Syndrome and uh, Lunchbox VHS, where they both I do. Was, yeah, sorry, go yeah. ahead. I was just about to mention that. Yeah, no, no, and you, you can. It's uh, it's this idea of creating a limited time thing for mm-hmm. something that people really want to see, and when Outwaters went up on the vinegar syndrome website for pre-sale you're right the price was forty dollars but it was um for the first week of its pre-orders it was cut down to 25 bucks for the limited and 20 bucks for the the standard mm-hmm. yeah, yeah it's, it's for the sales for sure. it's 
it's really the hardcore that are going after the physical mm-hmm. market now. So kind of like what Kyle did with Skinamarink, he put the movie on VHS yeah. and it sold out like within hour, like an hour. Yeah. Um, he should really like people should really try to tap into people's nostalgia mm-hmm. or just, you know, tap into the collector's side, you know, and get people to buy that are, you know, gonna obviously collect these sort of things. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, I wish there was more. Me. Ian. I was just gonna say, I feel like um there is a middle man and it's um magnets they usually put out their stuff for pretty cheap Mm -hmm. it's usually like 15 to 10 bucks for their blu-rays we're seeing a resurgence with vhs's and i want ian's vision to come to life i want like a resurgence in in dvds and like seeing like making a cool dvd case like we can it's gonna happen eventually guys like i'm already seeing the shift in like even social media where the nostalgia videos aren't for 90s kids anymore it's slowly (laughs) shifting into early 2000s and kids that grew up from 2000 to 2010 like ian's generation like that shift is already happening now those kids are getting the nostalgia trips (laughs) those kids are you know being kind of marketed to it's not me anymore i'm officially left behind in the dust i'm now i'm now part of like the 80s generation where we all just sit back and talk about it but we don't really like it's not about our nostalgia anymore it's about ian's generation now and i'm i'm starting to see that shift happen um fuck Uh, i'm getting old can i just want to ask one more question we can officially fucking move on from this (laughs) um do do you think that the reason dvds haven't made the comeback that let's say vinyl right or no VHS is probably more uh comparable um because of DVD disc rot issues whereas uh Blu-ray discs are created um a lot sturdier and with different um I don't want to say films or layers on it, but uh DVD disc rot is a really big thing and there's a lot of DVDs now uh, that you know have been purchased in 2000, 2001, 2002 that are completely unplayable now because of mm-hmm. disc rot. Yeah, it's the same reason why that like if you got a hairline scratch on a PS2 game that was a DVD, it wouldn't play. It skipped. Mm-hmm. And you could literally take a PS3 game when they finally switched over to Blu-ray and like rub it on the ground for six hours <laughs> and it would play just fine. Yeah. Um, I mean, but I think it's the visual side that you need to tap into, right? So they can mm-hmm. even use Blu-ray discs and just put them in DVD yeah. cases. And kind of like just just put them in the packaging that looks nostalgic. It doesn't have to be the disc necessarily because those look the same. That's fair. But yeah, I mean, we're only 13 minutes in. We can keep talking about physical <laughs> media, but we're not going to. Uh, me today, I uh, don't really have too much to talk about movie wise. Uh, Rex, I started playing Starfield. Uh, I'm a How do you feel about fan. them pronouns? I'm a Bethesda fan. I'm not going to talk about the pronouns. Uh, but. I'm digging it. I'm liking it. I'm loving it. And I want some more of it. Um, that's all I'll say on it. If you like Bethesda games, Fallout, Elder Scrolls, all that jazz, you'll like this game. If you're not into Bethesda games, it's not going to be for you. Go ahead, Brennan. Um, so the the two main discourses that I've seen about the game, uh, one of them I can understand. Uh, the one I can't understand is how people are flipping the fuck out because you can pick your character's pronouns. It's a fictional character in a game. Um, 
if it bothers you that you have to pick your pronoun, just close your eyes and press something at random. It's not that big of a deal. Chill out. But the uh, I've seen a lot of people that are pissed about, or that are upset about the UI and the flight uh, controls. Can you speak on that at all? Yeah, the UI, uh, like what a lot of people have problems with is like the inventory system. Mm-hmm. And it is a little um, obtuse and clunky. Uh, it's it's It leaves a lot to be desired for sure. I haven't spent a lot of time in the inventory screen. I'm only like five or six hours in. And I'm not really mining resources yet. I'm not really um, going into that part of the game yet. So mm-hmm. it hasn't been an issue for me. Uh, space travel-wise, I can see people's complaints. They kind of wanted more of a seamless experience like in No Man's Sky where you can literally uh, just take off from a planet, fly into the atmosphere, and fly back down into another planet seamlessly, no loading screens and things like that. But as much as I would like that, and I think it may come in time with future updates because I think if it's anything like Skyrim, they're still supporting the game like 13 years later or some shit. So like, I know they're going to build on top of this game and make it way more than it is right now. But at this current time in pre-release, it, it's not really bothering me. And I never played No Man's Sky, so um, I don't really have a lot to compare to. But um, I do have a, you know experience with the previous Bethesda games. And in that sense, it is leaps and bounds uh improved on their systems their graphics their combat like everything so to me it's it's awesome it's a huge improvement i'm not seeing like a lot of the detractors that other people are because they're comparing them to games i haven't played Mm -hmm. but um yeah no it's it's very immersive and i've played it for about six hours and i've done one story mission i get pulled off and to doing different things and meeting people and getting new companions and just like a side quest will turn into like this huge fucking one to two hour thing that evolves into like this crazy like space heist where I'm boarding ships and fuck it's it's fucking nuts it's wild um it's a lot of fun if you're even if you're not into Bethesda games but you're into like s- space operas and things like that I would totally suggest giving it a try it's uh it's very entertaining I'm enjoying it quite a bit but Nice. Uh, the whole pronoun thing, I'm tired of talking about that kind of shit. We live in 2023 now. I'm, I, I don't even want to give energy to that stuff. It's just the world we live in. I'm, people need to shut the fuck up about it. Like It's it's tiring, to say the least. But um, that being said, today we're covering the 2006 horror film, The Hills Have Eyes. It is a remake of a Wes Craven film from the 70s. The the 2000s, 2000 to 2009, man, that was the year of, or the decade, I'm sorry, of the remakes. Um, We had things like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Quarantine, The Last House on the Left, One Missed Call, Dawn of the Dead, House of Wax, The Wicker Man, Stepfather, Willard, When a Stranger Calls, The Ring, My Bloody Valentine, Friday the 13th. The list goes on and on. Uh, They were just pounding the remix out during this decade. But there are a few that stand out above the rest. Some would say Dawn of the Dead. Some would say The Hills Have Eyes. Um, Judging from the letterbox scores... This one does sit higher than most of the remakes from this decade. 
And I'm curious, before we get into our initial thoughts, why do you think that is? As two people that have seen the original, how does this compare? And also, why do you think this stands above the other remakes that are, in my opinion, uh, way more established franchises like Friday the 13th and Halloween and things like that? So, you want to go first? Oh, you can go. My thought is, so Wes, Wes Craven's second film was The Hills Have Eyes. He still didn't have, you know, crazy big budget. Uh, his first film was a critical failure, um, which was Last House on the Left. I believe it was a critical failure. The Hills Have Eyes isn't really that good of a movie. I'm going to say it. The original. I mean... Uh, I think what it was was this film tapped into the the remake nostalgia that was that was as you just pointed out was high and mighty in this time, but it also kind of got in. Not that this film is torture porn in any way, but that's kind of the horror zeitgeist that we were having in the mid two thousands that that um, overly hued. Um, very bloody, very violent, very this sh- this doesn't feel like I should be seeing it in theaters type of feeling. And I think that the word of mouth about how brutal and bloody this film was kind of just hit that that right market that that something like uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake didn't really hit on that hard, or the the Friday the Thirteenth remake. They're not they they feel like horror light kind of. In this feels like horror with a hard r I, man, I, <laughs> hell yeah i should have said a hard h horror. Um, that's my thought um this movie does exactly what the evil dead remake does it makes it bloodier it makes it better it makes it scarier makes it more modern it's uh and it has style uh i feel like a lot of the remakes that came out around this time Not a lot. I'd say like half of them. Um, They just, you could group them together and it, it could probably be, uh, there could be a case made that they're all made by the same director. They're all just Mm -hmm. pretty generic and boring. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like some of them don't even try to improve on the original. They're, they just seem like uh, maybe the director was a fan of them and he just wanted to make it more modern or whatever the case may be, Kyle. I just wanted to say, with the exception of House of Wax, because let's just talk about that finale. No, we're not going to talk about it. Go listen to the episode. But (laughs) House of Wax was a big improvement. Go ahead. Sorry. The best finale in horror history on this cast. Remake history? Remake history on this cast. Um, Yeah, this is just a better movie, plain and simple. Um, And I feel like it's... It's not disrespectful to um, Wes Craven as um, The Evil Dead isn't disrespectful uh, to um, Sam Raimi. Like, it's still a really good movie, and I feel like they doubled down on what the directors were intending to do at the time. Go ahead, Brennan. Do you think, going off what you just said, do you think that the reason why um, this film and something like The Evil Dead remake were so successful and hit all the right marks were because the original creators were 
either hands-on or tangentially involved in the creation of I think so. You can see, I mean, you can see in both these remakes, um, or in the Evil Dead and the, the Hills Have Eyes remake, um, they both have the same vision to their original movies. And I think that's key. And that's what makes these two stand out. Um, I think you kind of, yeah, I think you kind of touched on it a little in what you just said, but Wes Craven went on record saying that this remake was outstanding and mm-hmm. he loved it so much to where he actually started writing the script sequel or the sequel yeah the script sequel um what what do you think i mean we can't speak for him obviously but like what do you think um wait here let me let me speak for him real quick oh, right, go, go ahead get it because he's <laughs> <laughs> that was a visual joke i wish my camera was on guys i wish my camera was on for that but um why do you think he was such a fan of this remake whereas a lot of people like john carpenter for example hated the halloween remake by rob zombie why do you think wes craven was such a fan of this remake i have a direct answer for that actually um and it's uh gonna kind of uh, give a little bit of my money shot for the Fear Facts right now. Um, but so Wes Craven's longtime producing partner, uh, Marianne Madalena, I believe is her name, uh, she saw High Tension, which was direct uh, written by, Al- how do you pronounce his name? Al- Alejandre? Alex- <laughs> I feel it's bad. French. Um, he's I French. Al- Alexandre um, Aja? I think, and uh, Gregory Levisieux. Um, that sounded good. So, yeah, so they wrote High Tension together, and Aja directed it. Um, so his producing, uh, Wes Craven's producing partner saw High Tension and immediately thought, Wes needs to see this movie. She showed it to him. He watched it. He became completely enthralled with it, and he thought that these, that, that this uh, filmmaking duo um, was incredibly spectacular. Uh, So he set up a meeting with them. They had a meeting together, and it turned out that Aja and Levasseur were obsessed, are obsessed with the original The Hills Have Eyes. When they were 14, they would get together every weekend and watch it constantly. Um, So there was this immediate I think connection between Craven and these two guys and uh, Craven was just like, basically this is kind of what I want with it, but I also trust you enough to do what you want. And I think that it was that mutual respect between the, the two groups of people that just created such a wholesome and creative and thriving environment for them to make this movie. You got anything, Ian? Um, I actually didn't even realize that um, he directed Crawl as well, yeah. which yeah. makes sense that mm-hmm. Sam Raimi produced his film, Crawl. <laughs> so just in 2006 alone, um, we had a lot of remakes. We had The Omen. We had When a Stranger Calls. We had The Hills Have Eyes. We had The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We had The Wicker Man. All in 2006. Uh, those were also... Part of the top ten gross, uh, top ten grossing horror movies of that year. Mm. Um, just a shout out to Brennan. Uh, Saw three was the highest grossing horror movie that year. 
Let's um, go. But out of the remakes, The Omen sat atop the rest, <laughs> which I found a little surprising. Now, I'd never seen The Omen, but uh, I didn't think it was that established of an IP compared to something like The Hills Have Eyes. Maybe I'm wrong on that. But um, The Omen remake is like really bad. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's grotesque, actually. I own the box set now. It's right there. Wait. Uh, Kyle, when you say, oh, okay, so you said Saw Three was the grossing film, highest the, grossing, the, top, yeah. the highest grossing, and so it was The Omen right under that. Uh, so no, a lot. Well, actually, yeah. So Saw Three was number one. The Omen was number two. Yeah, and was Final it, Destination was number three. Just was it was it just that like audiences, mainstream audiences wanted spooky and horror fans wanted gnarly do you think maybe that had something to do with it because like religious i think maybe it was a combination of a few things uh we were getting a lot of like um exorcism films around that time Mm -hmm. and it was probably marketed Mm -hmm. as like a religious horror that people will were kind of into during that time you also got to think of the time period it was 2006 so at that point the original omen would have came out like 25 years prior so that was gripping people's nostalgia too that they were probably like you know in their mid 40s the people that saw it originally in their 20s so it was kind of cashing in on that audience as well gotcha but um it could have been a culmination of things but that's probably what i would peg it to I can definitely see like someone like my mom or just parents in general being like, oh, the Omen remake is coming out. I remember watching that as a kid. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just thought uh, the 2006 you know, year was very interesting considering we had so many remakes. We also just had a lot of bangers. A couple we've actually covered um, on the cast. Shout out to Stay Alive at number 12. Am I right, guys? <laughs> but let's go ahead and get into the film proper now. Uh, we're going to start with Brendan. Where did you watch it? Mm-hmm. Would you add it to your collection? And what did you think of the film? So all this talk about DVDs uh, kind of makes me feel like, a, like I'm on some boss shit over here. Because I watched it on a dvd nice uh so i own it um i this is we've covered many or i've we've talked about many films that are nostalgic to us for whatever reasons and this is one of those films that gives me that that feeling that i crave um 11 months out of the year for um that that feeling of uh, coming home from school in the fall, um, in October, immediately turning on either uh, uh, Sci-Fi's 31 Days of Halloween or AMC's Fear Fest, and you know, just looking at the schedule for the night, and it's things like House on Haunted Hill, um, House of Wax, this film. Um, it's just a deeply nostalgic film for me that when I'm having my shittiest day, um, I could put a film like this on and uh, feel better with myself. So I love it. Before we get into Ian and myself's thoughts, we're going to go ahead and jump into Fear Facts. 
From the success of Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Amityville Horror, uh, the remakes, obviously, uh, Wes Craven had the inclination to reboot his second feature film, The Hills Have Eyes. Fresh off their success with the new French extremity film, High Tension, I'm sorry, I'm kind of going over some of this again, um, Alexandre Aja and Gregory Levasseur were looking for their next fix. One day, Wes Craven's longtime producer, uh, you know, I'm going to skip all that no, stuff. No, 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 go ahead and read it. Go ahead and read it. Uh, one day, Wes Craven's longtime producing partner, Marianne Madalena, uh, recommended him High Tension. After viewing the film, Craven became immediately enthralled. Uh, upon meeting with Aja and Lavasseur, uh, Craven learned the two filmmakers were huge fans of the original film. Uh, the pair would watch it frequently when they were 18, and they said that this was one of their most influential films. Aja and Lavasseur uh, would start the writing process uh, shortly after their meeting. Um, and already were dead set on their ideas for the creature, for the mutant designs. Uh, a lot of their design ideas came from aftermath photos of Hiroshima and Chernobyl. Once writing was complete, KMB Effects started a arduous six-month-long process of designing the mutants, uh, from initially starting with 3D renderings, then to still sculptures, which all passed the test for uh, Craven and the filmmaking uh, duo, and then eventually... Uh, finalizing it with the brilliant mutant designs we see in the final product. Against the producer's wishes, Aja uh, was dead set on filming this in Morocco. In the Moroccan desert would act as a stand-in for 1940s New Mexico. Uh, historically, unlike the film supposes, there was only one nuclear detonation in New Mexico, which was the Trinity test. Uh, the overwhelming majority of nuclear testing would take place in the Nevada deserts. With a budget of $15 million, which was six times higher than their budget for high tension, The Hills Have Eyes would go on to make it quite a modest uh, $70 million. A sequel would soon be greenlit, and just like the original run of the franchise, it would soon fizzle out after the second film. Aja and Levasseur would uh, collaborate on many scripts together again, with films like P2, Mirrors, the great Kiefer Sutherland movie, and Maniac. Um, while Aja's career would continue to flourish with directing gigs like Piranha 3D, Horns, and Crawl. While I have a deep connect personal connection with this film, and I already know what Ian has, what what Ian rated it, uh, but this is a first watch for Papa Kyle, so how did he feel about it? Let's find out. Ian, we're going to throw it over to you. Thoughts of the film? Where'd you watch it? Would you add it to your collection? Um, so I think my likeness for not just this movie, but Hillbilly Horror spawns from uh, nostalgia of watching um, the sci-fi network as a kid. And I feel like it was always the Wrong Turn series, uh, the one, uh, the Hills Have Eyes remake, and then like just other random like children of the corn series was always playing like the, the 2000s remakes uh and just a bunch of other late 90s early 2000s horror stuff and uh you know this movie it's very nostalgic for me and i do like it i think it is one of the best horror remakes for sure um compared to the original um and I feel it's probably on like a list or something. You know, it's got it's got to be on like a top ten list. <laughs> I don't know where you make it right now, um, but 
I liked the directing. I liked the the acting was pretty good. I think um, overall, uh, I really liked the characters. I liked um, the direction it went, um, the improvements it made to the original. Um, the original left a lot to be desired, um, and that's I think why he made a part two to it. And I still have not watched the part two for being uh, lazy. Me, the one being lazy, um, but this movie's great. And I do think I have the unrated DVD version of this, but I watched, I went uh, a little, did a little sneaky Ian moment and uh, went on Kyle's Hulu to watch this film. Kyle, what'd you think of this movie? Wait, can we go back to you using my Hulu? Account? No, no. Uh, but the movie, let's talk about the movie. Um, so this is my first time watch. I have no nostalgia for this film whatsoever. That being said, I, was taken back to 2006 through watching this film. For some reason, it gave me such 2000s vibes <laughs> that I felt like I was watching it during that time. Um, I have not seen the original, so I have nothing to compare it to. And I just got to say, I have some gripes with the film, um, but not enough to detract from the overall experience. This movie felt like an hour and 20 when it was, in fact, an hour and 45. I could have sat through another 20, 25 minutes of this film. Mm -hmm. Um, it went fast. It didn't, it didn't drag in any parts of the film. I think it kept a great pace. Uh, the practical effects we'll talk about. I don't even want to go into it here because you're going to hear me go on a giant rant. I hope the characters, <laughs> the characters left a little to be desired as far as like the family dynamic. I kind of wanted them to all die. So I was happy that it happened. <laughs> but um, no, this film is, is awesome. And I'm surprised I haven't seen it sooner. I remember the trailer in my mind being played in theaters and on DVDs back in the day when I would watch stuff. Like I have the image of the trailer imprinted in my head. So in that sense, it's a little nostalgic. But yeah, no, it's just a great film. I have it on Blu-ray. I recently picked up the combo pack. Uh, both of them are the unrated editions. So it comes in like a little sleeve with uh, the two Blu-rays, which is really cool. I'm glad I own them. And I just think, before we get into the final ratings, that this movie is a little unrated. Earl, wait. It, it, it's a little... Wait, where, where did you think I was going with this? <laughs> well, no, because you brought up final ratings. And we haven't even... Yeah, I, I said before we get into the final rating, I think this movie's a little underrated, especially compared to the way I see people talk to it, or, or, mm -hmm. or talk about it, rather. Um, they talk about it with such high praise from the things that I've seen, and then when I go in and look at reviews and look at audience scores, they're <laughs> relatively on the lower scale. So, um let's go ahead and start with that why do you can... think that this movie gets such high praise it's on top 10 remake lists um it's on like top 20 lists to revisit from 2000s yet on every site you go on including letterbox it tends to be on the lower scale why do you think that is i think people don't are a little hesitant to give remakes um especially a remake from a well known and uh, praised director like Wes Craven. I feel like people are a little hesitant to give mm. remakes of this type of film higher ratings. The defense force comes out for the old directors. Mm -hmm. Got you. Yeah, especially classic like uh, Hills Have Eyes. 
Um, I can understand that. That's actually a really good point. It's just better. You know, people need need to accept that. And if you like the Evil Dead remake over the original Evil Dead, I feel like that's perfectly acceptable too. Like that's. I'm sorry, but the remake is better than the original. I'll go out and say it. Yeah, I'll go out and say it. But Brennan, why do you think that is? Uh, I kind of uh, initially, when you asked that, I didn't have an answer, um, and I I still don't. But I think Ian kind of hit it right on the head because Wes Craven is without a doubt one of the most prolific horror filmmakers Mm -hmm. and I could understand the feeling of not wanting to rate uh, a a direct remake of one of his films higher than, than his actual film. I can understand it. I don't give a shit about that. I think that people that think like that are very narrow minded. Uh, if you're one of those people, open up your fucking minds. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, this is a quality film. Quality, yeah. yeah. It's same with um, uh, the 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 wax movie, House of Wax. <laughs> the wax, <movie>. the wax <laughs> movie. <laughs> it's an Italian film where people are just getting whacked. Um, the quality of that film is there. Like, mm-hmm. if there was a there was a pretty decent budget for that film. Like, obviously, you have the the pretty shitty acting of a couple of the the big name actors in that film but um whoa, this is whoa, whoa, whoa. It, this is a quality film and people just need to accept that i feel like there's a reputation out there for for early 2000 films yeah i would say just to go back to house of wax because i'll get any <laughs> moment i can to talk about that film i think that's like a perfect example this not so much but i think house of wax is a perfect example of like not low budget necessarily, but like maybe lower quality, but high concept. Like the high concept of the remake is just, it's all there. Like the ideas are awesome. The imagery is awesome. And I think this movie is the same. It It's in one location. It probably didn't cost that much to make in the grand scheme of things. It's in like one or two locations. That's it. And But the concept of what they did with those locations, even down to, you know, actually... Let's stop because I'm could have talked about the family now. I thought you it, said I thought you were going to say that you were going to cry. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, cry out of uh, excitement, maybe. So this film has, I mean, what would be portrayed as maybe a rather dysfunctional family in some ways. Um, I personally was not emotionally invested in any of them. Um, I mean, but that being said. Were were any of you impacted really by their deaths, or was I it you really were talking about the mutants for a second? No, 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 no. <laughs> Sorry, let me specify the the non mutant family, <laughs> the non mutant family. Uh, were you guys impacted by any of their deaths, or when it came to like the night slaughter scene, was it more just the imagery of violence that was more effective, or were you actually like caring for their deaths? So I think that your that the feeling you have for that is kind of what they were going for and and not that um you know like serial killers and stuff you have that that idea of the less dead and I think that the the people in real life whose whose you know desert towns and and things were taken over and they were forced 
to leave so that these tests could be done, these nuclear tests. And then, you know, some of these people did return, got incredibly sick from it, died from it, and the government just kind of like was like, okay, well, um, you know, that 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 sucks for you. So I think that these characters are kind of supposed to be symbolic of that where it doesn't matter if you care about them or not. That's mm-hmm. not the point. The point is they're going to be brutally fucking murdered and that's that. So, so I, I sorry, go. Oh no, sorry. I keep interrupting. That's no. that's my bad. Um I just you guys are making great points and I just want to piggyback off mm-hmm. them. So that's kind of how I felt about this movie is usually that would be a detractor in some ways that I'm not emotionally invested in the main characters or rooting for them but in this sense i was kind of now keep in mind i don't condone rape and all that kind of shit but i was kind of very thanks much rooting for the you know quote-unquote villains in this film i wanted to see the slaughter but it kind of turned around towards the end and I switched sides because I was really invested in this guy's payback at the You're end like, of the movie. Wait a second. I don't like rape. Um, I just had we... to set, you know, the ex. <laughs> Wait, okay. So since, anyway, since you brought you, you brought the, the rape scene up, one of the absolute. Hold on. Hold on. That being said, Ian, if you want to answer the first question before you guys fucking derailed this. <laughs> Um, the question totally forgot what it was Brandon about the G. family. Go, yeah, Brendan. Um, one of the funniest moment in this film, uh, it's when uh, one of the mutants is in the RV. He ha- he has his hand over uh the girl from Lost. What's her name? Brenda. Um, he has he has his hand over her mouth. And uh, the sister who has the baby starts to walk towards the RV, and then the 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 father is lit on fire, <laughs> and uh, the sister just like barely pokes her head into the RV where the sister is unfortunate, where Brenda's unfortunately about to get raped, and she just goes, "Brenda, watch the baby." <laughs> And then just fucking runs away. I die every single time. That line and her delivery of it is just so perfect. I do think that scene, um, I think it's well done for what he's trying to accomplish Mm -hmm. um, and make it like a, I think we're trying, he, he tried to make us feel frustrated, like super frustrated that these guys are not even caring about the family. Uh, and I feel like it's, it's the, it's the two that come in. Oh, the mom comes out of the thing too. I'm like, damn. Okay. never mind. Cause I was going to say it's, it's the, the older sister and her boyfriend are kind of in their own world. Um, and they, they really don't care about the family, but the mom, yeah, the mom just walks out. <laughs> she was in there too. Like, yeah. The family made some, the human, the, 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 the sorry, not human, the non mutated family, <laughs> the normies, the normies made some questionable decisions for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that it could have played out any differently? Um, what what would you have guys done the moment you guys got in this accident and things started to take a shit? 
taking the whole family. We're going, we're going on a walk. Right, well, we're and going back to that gas station. That's remember, it. they were only two miles away from the gas station. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not far. They all could have walked to the gas station. That's what I said when I was watching it. Yeah. I think the dad like arrived at the gas station at nighttime, which is kind of insane. I mean, the dude was a little out of shape, right? So it took him, what, seven hours to walk (laughs) two miles, apparently. (laughs) But we do have to remember it's the summer desert heat. True. Uh, And all he did to prepare himself for his walk was uh, pour some water on his head. (laughs) That bald, sterling head shining night um i like the the voice of the dad um i think he had a really good voice for yeah yeah he's in a lot of stuff (laughs) sorry i'm trying to come back from the whole condone rape i'm trying to come back from it i'm sorry i'm thrown off now i'm off my game um but yes uh He's in a lot of shit, and uh, he's Ted, Ted Levine. Uh, yeah, a lot of stuff in the eighties and stuff too. But uh, I bet dude can we laid talk pipe. About, he laid pipe. Can we talk about the mutants? Like no. the look of the mutants? No, nah, I wasn't really going to cover that. <laughs> 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 yeah, let's talk about them. Let's talk about the. Um, we'll go hand in hand. So we'll talk about the mutants, the mutant family, and the design behind that. Um, again, I haven't seen the original, so I can't compare, but maybe you guys can comment on that. And then yeah. what do you guys think of the overall practicals and just the violence, specifically in the unrated edition that we watched? Um, well, the most interesting looking person in the original was Michael Berryman. <laughs> um, and yeah. he just has a weird shaped head. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like, believe it or how- not, he had no prosthetics. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I like how, uh, we are kind of visually told how all of this mutation and inbreeding has started. And it's obviously, uh, from, uh, Papa, what, what, I forget what Papa something, uh, the guy that's, that's played by uh, Bill Drago, who's Mm -hmm. fucking amazing in everything he does. Um, he's completely normal. Well, he's a cannibal, um, but he's completely normal looking. So I think it, it's kind of um, canon that he's the uh, the breeder, the breeder, the the top breeder. Um, and uh, so I like that the 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 effects are fantastic. I, uh, Greg Nicotero uh, plays the guy that has the neck brace on Yay. which i i like i always like when he's like fuck it i'm just gonna play one of these one of these creatures i created that's always fun um but you know i i think that the creature design <laughs> the um can can we because okay hey it's not as bad as what i said earlier right? i know okay never mind go ahead <laughs> um you know i think that the de- the design is fantastic uh they look menacing as fuck and then yeah. uh oh uh rubber they have a rubber johnny um i think uh do you guys remember the rubber johnny music video no oh, okay um so big brain uh the guy that's in the wheelchair oh. um look up look up rubber johnny later on there's a music video and it looks just like uh, big brain looks just like that um i no i i think 
the 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 creation of the mutations are are great um and they're so fucking violent and the way that they mixed uh for 2006 how they stuck mainly with practicals and only used digital to to enhance it for 2006 mm. it could have gone either way they could have done either straight practical or gone full digital so i'm glad that that they kind of stuck to the practical roots of the 70s film i think for this last watch um it wasn't the unrated cut um but there was still a lot of gore a lot of practicals um big brain definitely my favorite uh he's creepy a piece of shit and because he's a snitch you know what and uh narkers snitches get stitches yo snitches get stitches exactly kyle thank you um i think it was funny how i'm pretty sure the the dogs have a bigger kd than the actual humans do um but my favorite thing about this movie is the dogs they don't get utilized in films that much they they were heroes in this film they killed yes. sorry go ahead. instead of, <laughs> instead of be getting killed other than beauty, um, they oh, motherfucking up. killed. And Beast, Beauty and the Beast, fantastic names for a pair mm-hmm. of shepherds. Mm-hmm. Um, he was redeeming his love, the love of his life. I don't know yes. if they're brothers or sisters. Either way, he he got he got that Katie up for for Beauty, and he was he was avenging her death. And that's to that, that point. Not trying to be funny, but to that point, Beast was totally a character in his own right like he was on his own like crusade of vengeance and i respect that like i was i liked how they portrayed not only the bond between man and dog but the dog with the family right he had his own goals to get revenge on these people for you know the the friend that they took and the family that they killed like he was sticking out for his family i loved the dog the kills were dope um I love how with the practicals in this film, they never cut away. Right mm-hmm. when another film would make a cut, this film just stuck to it. And it was awesome. Like the practicals were really, really good. Um, it never looked cheesy. It never looked fake. To Brennan's point, they did use a little bit of like digital um, when he like threw the spike strip at the guy's face. Mm-hmm. And you can kind mm-hmm. of tell. But other than that one shot, everything looked solid. I did not know that Greg Nicotero did the um, effects on this film, but that makes complete sense on why it fucking rules. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's obviously a master in his class, and I think that just added to the overall quality of this film because without the uh, practical effects and the way the violence was portrayed, I don't think it would have been as effective, honestly. Can I, uh, I know we're kind of running time. Can I just give a quick theory or on or a quick, my take on the symbolism of this movie? As he reaches out to the stars. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, Mr. Fantastic is in the building now. Mr. Fantastic, can you please give us your reach for the episode? Okay. So obviously we know that Aja and Levasseur are uh, politically motivated. Uh, high tension was part of the new French extremity movement, which was a very political movement. It's when um, a lot of left-leaning people decided to 
that they can't make a physical change. So they're going to basically get their anger out through film. Uh, so one of the lines that Ted Levine, the dad, has, um, he makes a joke about the the cell phone guy whose name I'm forgetting. Um, he makes a joke about um, how Democrats don't use guns. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, fun, haha, funny line. Get it, you know. Um, so then the dogs go out, Beauty and Beast. Beauty gets killed. And obviously it, that's that's a fun name for for a set of dogs, Beauty and Beast. But to me, because uh the 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 cell phone guy um ends up kind of saving the day, more or less. So you have this idea of his beauty of the world has been shattered. Beauty is dead. There is no more beauty in life. All that he has left is beast. So this this shot of the the idea of this this Democrat um, having his complete worldview shattered, everything that he knows is no longer true. Um, he sees the true hate and anger and violence that exists in this world. Uh, so where this film kind of takes that new that French the new French extremity angle is that the I think the most impactful shot is when you see him and his daughter and they're being led out of that canyon by beast. And I, I really like this idea of beauty's dead, beast is all he knows now. Loss of innocence. He puts yeah. on his MAGA hat and goes to town. I love it, dude. <laughs> no, that's, that is a very insightful and interesting stretch. And I'm going to give it my Ruminations of Red Room stretch approval for this episode and say that that is officially canon. That's cool. Um, whether or not that's what the director intended, it is now fact. So, <laughs> No, I loved it. That was awesome. Uh, let's go ahead and get into final thoughts and rating but before we do ian has a very special announcement it's not an announcement but i did want to go over my favorite scene which is the cell phone guy holding the screwdriver up to the the biggest mutant guy with Don't the care. axe and he's like it's it's an amazing shot amazing shot there's probably a bunch of symbolism in there um but we're getting into our final rating so just want to mention that and go no 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 also, on that note, the entire section, the entire revenge section, I love how they played it up almost like a Western with yes. the music, and it's like the last stand kind of thing. I loved it. It was a, it, it was unexpected, but it was very welcomed. I loved it. Um, the, like, the whole soundtrack in this film was, was rad. Um, like, uh, you guys, I don't know if you noticed it subconsciously or you know, whatever. Um, but like the first part of the film is a lot of, you know, steady shots, 24 frames per second. And then once the violence starts to occur, it goes a bit more, not shaky cam, but more handheld, more chaotic filmmaking. And they raise the frames per second for all of the violence. So it, so you have that new French extremity, uh, feeling in the high frame rate really gives the violence, that extra, like, viscerality, if that's a word. Mm-hmm. I think it is. It's visceral. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, before we get into final thoughts and rating, just because I'm curious, Ian, we'll start with you. 
Is this a better remake than Dawn of the Dead 2004? Ooh. I have not seen the original, so this is could it be from you and Brandon? Oh, a better remake? Yes. Oh, is it a better remake? Yes. Easy. Because this is better than the original. Dawn of the Dead remake is not better than the original. I will also say that it is a better remake. Before we get into our final thoughts and rating, we're going to go into the official ruminations of Red Room thick piss break. Go ahead and trinkle off into your bathrooms. Go ahead and just relieve yourselves. Let loose. Forget all your problems. Just let that stream come out of you. And we'll be right back. Hey, kids, it's Don Shanahan from the Cinephile Hissy Fit, one of the podcasts on the Ruminations Radio Network. If you've been enjoying this show, come listen to Will Johnson and I fight it out over cinema's best and worst on Cinephile Hissy Fit. Find us and all the great shows over on RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. And welcome back to Ruminations of Red Room, the horror podcast of the Ruminations Radio Network. We hope you enjoyed that lovely message and while that stream of something came out of you it's now time to bring a stream of content back in your life you like that there's more where that came from (laughs) we are now going into final thoughts and rating for the hills have eyes 2006 ian we're going to start with you final rating and review for the hills have eyes damn this was a great conversation I don't think I've had such an in-depth conversation about this film in my life. Um, I already liked it going in. Um, I'm going to give it a heart, obviously. Uh, This improved quite a bit on the original for that. I'm going to give it more credit. Um, Do it! Do it! Do it! Do it! Four and a half. (laughs) Woo! Let's go, Brendan. Final thoughts and rating for The Hills Have Eyes 2006. This is what you want. I got chills right now. (laughs) This is what you want out of a remake. You want the original heart and soul of the film to be there, but you also want it to not only be improved upon, but for the new incoming director or filmmaking team to add their style to it. Um, this might be the perfect remake. And for that, I'm going to give it a five and a heart. Whoa, bro. (laughs) Bro. So like I said previously, I have no nostalgia for this film. Turning it on and watching it, I was instantly brought back to 2006, which was a very important year for me. Um, But this film was perfectly paced. Uh, It had awesome practical effects. Shout out Greg Nicotero. Uh, Soundtrack was awesome. The characters were deservingly written the way they were to give enough or to give not as enough impact on being emotionally invested in them and want and their deaths being satisfying to watch. Um, just everything about this film was just, I, I can't think of too many negatives. 
So I'm going to give this movie a 4.5 and a heart. (laughs) (laughs) That being said, the official ruminations (laughs) of Red Room rating for The Hills Have Eyes 2006 is 4.6 repeating. So it's going to go down to a 4.5 and a heart. And now it's time for not only America's favorite game, but the world. What's in the box? The game where I read a film description of a film off Letterboxd. My contestants have to guess the average rating of the film if they are within 0.3% of the rate. Or no, not percent. I'm sorry. 0.3 of the rating. They get a point. They didn't get to guess the decade. (laughs) In classic fashion, this is going to be a shit show. It's got to be a shit show. If they guess the decade in which the film was made, they get a second point. And if they guess the year exactly, it's a third point. Up to three points. Gentlemen, are you ready? I'm going to encounter, or I'm going to, I'm going to improv right now. I'm going to do a little acting job. Say whatever. Sound like goofy. (laughs) (laughs) Number one. It's just a bunch of hocus pocus. After 300 years of slumber, three sister witches are accidentally resurrected in Salem on Halloween night. And it is up to three kids and their newfound feline friend to put an end to the witch's reign of terror once and for all. Okay, this is obvious. The or original it, Wizard of Oz. Or is this uh, this is this this I haven't seen the Hocus Pocus sequel. Three kids. I haven't seen the sequel either. I'm going we're doing rating first. I'm going ugh, I know there's a lot of Hocus Pocus stands, even though it's not a good movie. Um gonna 3. go seven. Three point three. 3.6. I'm changing. You both are awarded a point. It is at 3.4. Okay. Guess the decade. 90s. 90s. The second point, the second point <laughs> is awarded. The second point is awarded for both of you. Guess the year. This is the point where two Italians walking over on Wackham. Um Oh, this is late 90s, right? Yeah, I think not. I'm going to go 97. Oh, no! I was going to go 97. We can both do it. All right. It is the 1993 film directed by Kenny Ortega. It is Hocus Pocus. That's Jennifer Ortega's. I chose this movie only because the first half of the movie, watching The Hills Have Eyes, I was like, who is this girl? I know her from something. And she's, in fact, the. Oh, no way. The main girl, the love interest in Hocus Pocus. And she's Uh, the. um, Oh, yeah. She's the kid in Hocus Pocus. And she she grew up to be a a very fine actress in Spokehouse. Are you guys ready for number two? (laughs) Yeah. At least it you didn't takes- say she was a smokehouse in Hocus Pocus. <laughs> no. <laughs> We're not talking about Hocus Pocus. Uh, it takes all kinds of critters to make Farmer oh. Vincent Fritters. 
Farmer Vincent Smith and his sister Ida run a motel attached to a farm where they capture unsuspecting travelers, bury them alive, fatten them up, and then harvest their bodies as ingredients for his famous brand of smoked meats. Oh. I thought this was Critters. This is... Is this Bunny Man Massacre? Oh, it, oh it's definitely Bunny Man. It's definitely the first Bunny Man. One point... Uh, six. I wish I, I wish I wouldn't have said Wait, that. One point eight. One You both are incorrect. It is at three point oh. Okay, yes, obviously the decade. <laughs> um, cannibalism. Two thousand. Big two thousands. Two thousands. That is incorrect. It is the 1980 film directed by Kevin Connor, Motel Hell. Hmm. That makes sense. It is 2 2. Final movie. Are you ready? Oh, yeah. Madman crazed for carnage. Six people are lured into a small deep south town for a continental celebration where the residents proceed to kill them one by one as revenge for the town's destruction during the Civil War. Can I get the first sentence again, please? Six people are lured into a small deep south town for a continental celebration where the residents proceed to kill them one by one as revenge for the town's destruction <laughs> during the <laughs> Civil War. I gotcha. Um, this is... Uh, 2.9. Oh, that's a good guess. 2.8. You guys are both correct. It is the 3.1. Guess the decade. I was going to say the goal. It's 3.1. That, that second cup um, of coffee is flowing through. 2000s. I'm going to say 80s. You both are incorrect. It is the 1964 film directed by Herschel Gordon Lewis, 2000 Maniacs. Ooh. That puts Brendan... In the lead, three to two, which puts year to date, Kyle six, Brendan eleven, Ian nine. Brendan takes gets the get the lead here. This <laughs> has been another episode of Ruminations of Red Rum. The big brain brother of the Ruminations Radio Network. If you like what we're doing here, go ahead and follow us on Twitter at of Red Room. That's OF Red Room. And rate and subscribe on any podcast service you listen to. We're on literally everything. I've been your host, Kyle, with a K. And today joining me, we have Brendan Jesus Ortega. <laughs> you guys get me so excited when you say that. Uh, uh, what do I say? Uh, Hail Skinnamarink. I don't say that. Ratma. That's what I meant. And also, Ian with Dewey. Michael is undoubtedly a part of this family. And <laughs> he got out. I feel like the sequel is just about Michael's life of escaping his, his family drama. Stay spooky, folks. <laughs>